Very good. Um, we're honored today to have uh, Jessica Thacker with us. Jessica Marsh Thacker is a Louisiana native who received her Bachelor of Arts degree in Communication Studies from East Texas Baptist University. She then moved to Waco, Texas, where she was employed by Baylor University prior to receiving her Master of Arts degree in Journalism from Baylor. She is an instructor of Communication Studies at Louisiana State University at Alexandria, and she enjoys teaching various classes such as public speaking, nonverbal communication, news writing, and media. Jessica's married to Chris Thacker, the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Alexandria. They have three boys, Jack, Henry, and Simon. And so please join me in welcoming Jessica Thacker. Not sure about this microphone, how we're going to get along, but I'm going to do my best. Put all my little notes out here, see if I need those. <clears throat> okay, Stuart says I can take this off. Perfect. Now, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you to Stuart Holloway and to First Baptist Church for this invitation. I'm excited to be here with you, and I'll be very honest that I had a lot of difficulty today trying to come up with what I wanted to speak to you about. Uh, as you noticed in Stuart's intro, I teach communication, and if you know anything about communication, I'm actually, I'm curious. When you hear the word communication, what do you think of? Talking? Right. I mean, I think that's naturally where our brains go. We think about having conversation. We think about engaging others in relationship. Um, and that would be completely accurate, Pat, that we would use communication and talking. Other than that, though, maybe you think about communication, you think about what I'm doing, right? Where I'm addressing an audience, where it's a presentation of some kind, and I have people that are listening to me. That would be communication. Um, maybe you think about this guy, right? And how many times a day you send a text or an email or some kind of correspondence, and that absolutely also would be communication. So when I knew I had 20-odd uh, minutes to share something of substance with you, it was difficult to narrow it down. But I decided to share with you a class that I'm teaching this semester. It hasn't been taught on LSUA's campus in seven years, and it's the class called Nonverbal Communication, right? And nonverbal communication is one of those things where what is that? Well, it's any way that you communicate without using words. So some examples of some ways you would use nonverbals would be your facial expressions, right? Uh, perhaps even the way that you're dressed, your physical appearance communicates something about you. Um, maybe even the way that you use space. If you notice some people when they walk into a room, it's like they just take up the whole room. They just have this presence about them. They're communicating that they're they're confident and they're powerful, right? So you can look at how people use space. That communicates non-verbally. And you can even look at not so much the words that people say, but the way that they say them. We call this vocalics or paralanguage, right? It's not the message itself, but it's the pitch, the inflection, the volume, the way I say the words. At LSUA, we're teaching college students and Maybe you remember being in college. It's very emotional time, right? So if I'm in the throes of relationships, as college students are, and I say to you, I love you, it's a very different message than to look at someone and say, I love you. Right? So the verbal message is the same, but the nonverbal message is different, and so it communicates something different. Not what I'm saying, but the way I'm saying it. So if nonverbal communication is 
communication without words, then I want you to take note right now of your nonverbal communication. I want you to look at how you're sitting in your chair. Some of you are sitting back with your arms crossed, right? Some of you are sort of leaned forward, right? If you're eating, you get a pass, right? Okay, some of you have that kind of squinty-eyed look of, I'm not sure this woman knows what she's talking about. Or maybe you have the wide-eyed look of, this is very interesting. I want to look very interested, right? Maybe you have your legs crossed. Maybe your legs are like this, right? You are communicating to me right now. I'm the one that has the benefit of getting to talk, but you're communicating to me because we cannot not communicate. Please forgive the bad grammar there. You're communicating all the time. And many scholars will tell you, Birdwhistle and Moravian are some of the well-known scholars in this area, they'll tell you that 65 to 93% of our communication is nonverbal. Take a second and let that, set, that sink in. 65 to 93% of the way that you communicate and what you're communicating doesn't have anything to do with the words that you're saying. And everything to do with all of this, right? How I say it, how I stand, the facial expressions that I use. Now, scholars came after them and said, you know what, Bird Whistle, Moravian, we think you may have elevated those numbers a little bit. But even so, the reality is so much of our communication is nonverbal. So, we need to learn what it means for us in our professional lives, in our personal lives, and what, what value does it have for us? Because we know communication is important. You know it's important. But how does it actually affect the way that we live our lives? So some of you are probably sitting there saying, okay, nonverbal communication, I know what that is. That's body language, right? Body language, I know about that. Here's the trick with using the term body language, okay? And the reason why we use the term nonverbal instead. If we go around saying, oh, it's nonverbal, it's body language, then the assumption is that there's a direct correlation. It can be easily translated, right? That a particular motion or a gesture has an equally translatable meaning. But what we know to be true is that one particular motion does not always mean the same thing. Would you agree, right? So, for example, for me to stand here with my arms crossed, what might my standing here with arms crossed communicate? I'm cold. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And that would be exactly right. Okay. So, that's one thing. What else? I'm upset. Really? Okay. And why would... Why Nathan says, because I'm married, right? So I sort of walk around with this perpetual, right? You combine this with this face. Yes, I understand, okay? So what's, what is interesting about this is we cross our arms. Sometimes we are, we are putting a barrier between us and something that might make us uncomfortable. Studies will show you that if you watch an audience that is scheduled to see a performance, if they are sitting on the very front row, most of them will instinctively cross their arms until the performance gets going and they start to relax because we naturally, whenever we encounter something that makes us somewhat uncomfortable or we're just uncertain, we cross our arms because we like that feeling psychologically of creating a barrier. Now you're all self-conscious. I see some of you are like, oh. 
I don't really want to cross my arms, but okay. So I could be cold. I could be trying to kind of create a barrier between. What if I cross my arms and I kind of hunch my shoulders down ever so slightly like this? I'm unsure. Maybe I'm uncertain. I'm feeling intimidated. I'm feeling a little bit inferior. If you watch people, uh, two people together, you can tell pretty quickly which person has more power in the relationship because one person stands open like this. If you watch the other person, they're making themselves smaller. Do you see that? Right? But if I cross my arms and I tip my shoulders back and my chin up just ever so slightly, now what am I communicating? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in charge. Exactly. That's how we should all walk around, right? <laughs> Whether we feel it or not. Yes. So what that means, guys, is that this action does not have an equally translatable meaning all the time. So that's why we call it nonverbal communication and not body language, because we've just established that that one motion in several different contexts can mean different things. So maybe you're wondering, yeah, this is fascinating, but what does this have to do with me? How does this help me? Is this really even legitimate? Um, you may be familiar with Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is an author who's written some really interesting books about some fairly common topics with a different perspective. And in one of his books entitled Blink, he does what is called a thin slice. And it's a way for um, researchers to try to get an, a, a sense of, can we prove something to be true? And so in this particular example, what they did is they took videos of a professor addressing and teaching their class, right, at the beginning of a semester. And what they wanted to try to see was, can we analyze that and predict by the end of the semester how those students will rate that professor based on is the professor competent? Is the professor confident? Are they active? Are they engaged? Okay, so they did these video clips and they took 30 second slices of the professor teaching their courses. And with amazing accuracy, they were able to predict at the end of the semester how those students would evaluate the professor, which alone is really interesting, right? Because we think, oh, I wonder what they were thinking, what they were observing. Well, then nonverbal scholars come along and they say, you know what? We're going to take those same thin slices. We're going to turn the volume down. And do you know, with almost the same amount of accuracy, they were able to determine how the students ranked those professors on how active they were, how competent they were, how confident they were, and they never heard a sound. So what do you think they were looking at to determine a competent, confident, active professor? They're nonverbals, right? Now, does that mean you don't need to spend time on your content? Please don't hear me say that today. Do not ever go into a presentation unprepared and disorganized and, well, it doesn't really matter. It's all my, my nonverbals. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we take for granted that we are very good at communicating in other ways. And what we're seeing here is that so much of the message is nonverbal. So maybe you're like, well, I'm already pretty good at reading other people. How many of you would say that? I, I think I'm pretty good. I think I can kind of, yeah, this is not a trick question. Yeah, I think some of us are. And what you've learned to read is nonverbals. You're reading people, right? And so what I want to give you now are a couple of things that I feel like will help you as you encounter other people 
And then I want to give you a few things that you can apply to you, just yourself. All right? So here's some things to notice in other people. The first thing that I would say to you is to pay attention. That seems kind of easy, right? Pay attention to people's nonverbals. Keep your eyes open. Understand that that really is a primary way that you're learning about them. And are they a person that gestures a lot? Like me. <laughs> My students give me a hard time. Ms. Thacker, you can't talk without your hand. So? That's not a bad thing. Right? What do they do with their hands, their faces? And interestingly enough, if you will take that idea of paying attention into new situations, when you meet someone new, and I don't know all the things that you do in your professional life, but I would venture to say that you meet new people, right? And maybe people that you have to interact with in a professional way. You need to put a pitch out there. You need to give some information. You really want to make a good impression on them, but you're not really sure how they're responding to you. One of the things that uh, the book I'm referencing that I have here for today, if you wouldn't look through it, is um, by Carol Kinsey Goman, and she's basically a strategist. And she says, one thing you need to do when you encounter someone for the first time is to create a baseline. All right, so let's say that you guys are going to have a, a fairly large presentation, a meeting, and you need to give a pitch, right? So evaluate your people before it starts. Just when you're hanging around, drinking coffee, eating donuts, just then during the chit-chat and the small talk before the meeting ever starts and establish a baseline with people. Are they real animated? They're, do their faces, do you know these people, the people that even if they tried really hard, their faces give them away, right? Do they have a really animated face or do they not? Do they use a lot of vocal variety when they talk or do they kind of just a you know, I'm kind of a one-note kind of guy. This is kind of where I stay, right? Notice, are they, are they really demonstrative with their bodies? Because then, once you've created that baseline and you go into that presentation and, hey, you're just presenting away and giving it your best shot and they're giving you nothing, but then you think, wait, when we were having coffee just a minute ago, they were very expressive. They were very, they had a lot going on in their face. And now they're just kind of, huh, it's an interesting pitch you have there. Now I've been able to see that that's not quite connecting in the way that I thought because I created that baseline to start with. Does that kind of make sense? Am I losing y'all? Are y'all staying with me? Okay. <laughs> I'm used to teaching college students, so they usually kind of drift off after a while. The other thing that Goman suggests, which I think this is fascinating, and I haven't tried it, so you are going to be the guinea pigs on this, all right? She says that most people over time, and especially you as professionals, I would venture to say that you've done this, you've learned how to manage the top half of your body, right? You've learned how to manage, right? You understand that you need to sit up tall and have good posture, right? You've learned how to pretty much manage this, this thing right here. Right? Don't give too much away. Don't respond too much. Right? Not appropriately. You've probably even learned the, ooh, this is the one my college students love. Oh, you're so interesting. Oh, I'm not thinking about that at all. But if I put my chin in my, ooh, yes, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? So <clears throat> if we're good at controlling this part of our body, what does that imply that we're not good at controlling? The lower half. This is the part of the body that's most connected to our fight or flight, right? 
So what does she suggest? She says, okay, when you're in your big presentation, you're giving your big spill, right? But you're not really sure if that, there's that one person in the room and you're just like, I just don't know. I don't know how they feel about it. I don't know if it's getting through to them. She says, drop your pen. And when you lean over to pick it up, take note of their feet. Because if their ankles are crossed and pulled away from you tightly, under, up under the chair tensely, chances are they're not feeling very open to what you're talking about. But, Larry, you got a face, you're confused. Like, you know, do I need a chair to explain? Or like, okay, you know how people, they'll wrap their feet around the, the legs of the chair tightly, tensely. It's indicating <clears throat> that they're not particularly receptive. But if they're sitting out with their feet stuck out like this, they like what they're hearing. What do you think? You going to try it now? I don't know. I think you need to try it. I think you need to see if it actually... Now, Clark's all crossing his legs. They talk about crossing legs, too, Clark. They say that if you, if you cross your leg with your foot toward, and then you're... Uh, I don't know if all that's necessary. But I think just the... Are they tense? Are they doing a lot of this jitteriness? All it's saying is pay attention, right? Keep your eyes open and see what you notice because you might be surprised at what you see. So that's with you with others, but what about you? You as an individual, what can you do to improve your nonverbals and hopefully make you the best communicator that has ever been in the history of the world? I'm not promising that, but one thing you can do, <clears throat> you form impressions of people in basically the first seven seconds. So <clears throat> it really didn't matter what I said. You kind of already formed your impression of me. <laughs> well, but here's the thing that we can do. First of all, focus on your eyes. We are naturally drawn to the eyes. There have been sonnets and love poems and music written about the eyes, right? The window to the soul. We are drawn to eyes. And we are especially drawn to eyes that are bigger, okay? Apparently, years ago, women used to take belladonna to make their pupils larger because they thought they were more attractive with larger pupils. So what does that mean? In order to make my eyes larger, and I'm coming into a situation where I need to be around people and I want to make a good impression, what you can do is call the eyebrow flash, right? Where you basically lift your eyebrows ever so slightly. <laughs> but here's the, care, here's the trick, though. You can't hold it because then it's like you're perpetually surprised. Now, that's weird. We're not going for that. We're just going for the slightly open, right? Just a, And it's not... <laughs> You're not trying to creep people out. You're just sort of basically expanding the eye ever so slightly. And, it, and the way to do it is to consciously tell yourself to raise your eyebrows. And it naturally happens, right? So just a little quick one, a little eyebrow flash, right? Not a this thing, because again, creepy, right? Okay, so do your eyebrow flash. That makes your eyes bigger. It makes you seem more approachable, more engaged. That's a good thing. And to smile, I know that sounds, that sounds cheesy, but they say even small children will learn the social smile. And what's your social smile? That's the one when the person's singing the Star Spangled Banner and it's really off key, but you just smile because you're like, oh, bless their heart. <laughs> when you do the social smile, you only engage the bottom half of your face, all right? And it's obvious that it's not a real smile because when you do a real smile, what happens? The eyes crinkle the cheeks raise, okay? So simple things. Studies show the more you smile, the better you feel, and people feel good about you. That's easy. That's free. 
You can do that, right? You can do a little eyebrow flash. You can smile. You can be conscious of your posture. Don't shove those hands in your pockets because when you do that, what do you naturally do? You slump. And when those shoulders go down, there goes the confidence, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that you walk around like this because, again, that's also weird, right? I'm not trying to say we don't want to exaggerate this. We want to be normal, okay? But be aware of your posture. Now, you might say, well, that's all fine and good if you feel confident, but what if I don't feel confident? Well, <laughs> you're, you're thinking exactly right. What if I don't, that's great, but what if I'm intimidated? What if I really need this job? And I'm about to go into this interview, and I can't afford to mess this up. What if I really need to nail this presentation? Because it's going to mean the raise that I've been working for for months and months, right? Surely you've had that situation in your life where you, you went into something and you walked away saying, I just I didn't quite do what I could have done. It didn't quite happen the way that I wanted it to. Well, um, you may be familiar with a woman, her name is Amy Cuddy. And Amy Cuddy has one of the most popular TED Talks in the history of TED Talk. If you're not familiar with TED Talks, I would really encourage you to, to Google that and some of the most fascinating information you can find. But Amy Cuddy, and I have her book here as well, uh, if you'd like to look at it, she's a social scientist, and basically what she's done is she's tried to study nonverbals to determine can we actually, with our nonverbals, trick our brains and change the way we feel by what we do with our bodies? Is it possible? And so in her research, what she's come up with is how do we help people when they go into situations where they feel intimidated and they feel uncertain and they don't feel confident? How can we counteract that? I have this big job interview. I really need this job, right? What do you see when people are sitting in an interview before an interview? If they're all in the waiting room, what do you see? They're all hunched over, aren't they? They're furiously looking at their notes. They're maybe they're on their cell phone. They're making themselves feel small. What she says is you need to stand up. You need to walk around, right? And more than that, she says you need to use the power pose. Now, I'm just going to tell you, the power pose, you're going to feel really ridiculous. <laughs> so you don't need to do this in front of people. Okay, I advocate that you go and do this maybe in the bathroom where no one can see you because the power pose is this. It's Wonder Woman. It's the Wonder Woman pose. It's been dubbed that, right? What you're doing, and guys, this, this is her research. It's all her research. But what she's trying to encourage us is, she says, look at the animal kingdom. Look at the animals. When they want to be dominant, what do they do? They make themselves bigger. What do they tell you if you run into a cheetah or a mountain lion in the, in the woods? Are you supposed to run away? No, you're supposed to make yourself bigger. So what happens is they started studying this from a hormonal level. And so what they saw was that when people assume this position, their testosterone actually goes up and their cortisol, which is their stress hormone, goes down. So she says, if you will do this for two minutes just two minutes, you will feel more powerful. And there are study after study after study, coaches that do this with their teams before the games, students that do it before they take tests. If you all do it together, you feel less ridiculous. I'm just going to tell you. I did it today with my nonverbal class, and I'm like, Ms. Thacker, I'm like, do it. 
You are going to feel more powerful and you are going to thank me. Because we do. When we make ourselves feel bigger, right? Two minutes, that's all I'm saying. If you do this, you will feel more confident. Isn't that crazy? This idea that our nonverbals can really change our lives. So I encourage you, and I want to leave you finally with this story that relates to that. I had a student several semesters ago. One of the, I love teaching at LSUA for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons I enjoy it is because we have so many, such a variety of students, non-traditional students from all over the world. But she came to me after class and she said, Ms. Thacker, she said, I gotta tell you the story. She said, my daughter is in first grade. And she's doing those timed math tests where they have to answer all of the math problems. And she said, and she knows the answers, but she just can't do it in the time. She gets freaked out and she gets stressed out in the time and she can't do it. And she was feeling so defeated and so defeated. And I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, we should power pose. She said, so there we are in my kitchen and we're doing the power pose and we're giggling because we feel so silly and we're doing it. She said, and then she took her test and do you know that she got all those problems right in the amount of time that she needed to? She said, I don't know if it was a fluke. It could have been a fluke. But she said, I'm a believer in the power pose. So you have some homework today, right? You need to go watch the TED Talk from Amy Cuddy. You need to practice your power pose. So the next time you go into a stressful situation, something where you really want to make that good impression, right? Then obviously prepare. Let me just say that as a speech teacher. Have good content. Work on it. Rehearse it. Be smooth. But then, just before you go in, do your power pose and see if it makes a difference. Because our nonverbals do make a difference when it comes to our communication. Thank you.